Hello! Hi there! Welcome to another Vertigo Voices. Back again. That was Cake's cover of War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Excellent choice. The reason I picked that is because today we're talking about the best Vertigo covers. And that, to me, is a cover that's way better than the original song. <laughs> you know, I actually, I agree with you on that, yeah. No offense to Black Sabbath, but... Yeah, so that's uh, my favorite cover of a song. <laughs> <laughs> Very fitting. It's a cover, cover, it, fuck it, it makes sense. It I'm does. not, I don't have to explain myself. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. <laughs> so, hey, hi, everybody. Here yeah. we are. Hey, it's Colby. And Sophia, taking a big sip of coffee again. And we're... Back for Vertigo Voices. Um, I had one little bit of news today. Uh, the Dead Boy Detectives have been cast for their new series. Uh, Deja Vu, because the Dead Boy Detectives have already been cast <laughs> when they were on Doom Patrol. But given the uh, strength of that episode or those characters or whatever, HBO Max has decided to make a spinoff series. And uh, for some reason, they cast new new people in the roles. <laughs> so it's a spinoff, but it's not connected. That's, well, yeah, I mean, that's what I was confused about, because they I thought I heard that they weren't going to recast it, but... No, they, they, they said from the beginning that they were. Mm. Uh, but let's see, Roland and Edwin. Okay, so Jaden Reverie and Cassius Nelson have been cast as... Uh, uh, Charles Rowland and Edwin Payne, respectively. Wait a second. That's not right. That says a different name. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Why is this a terrible piece of writing? Um, th sorry, this this uh, this announcement that I'm reading is just very poorly constructed. Okay, there we go. George Rextrew is cast as Edwin Payne. Uh, Charles Rowland is going to be Cassius Nelson. And then, fuck, no, that's not right either. God damn it. Okay, I wish they would just put the names next to the names, but they didn't, and this is really fucking annoying. Okay, George Rextrew has been cast as Edwin Payne. Okay. Jaden Reverie has been cast as Charles Rowland. And then Cassius Nelson has been uh, cast as their friend, Crystal Palace. I'm not familiar with any of those actors. But... Yeah, me neither. I mean, they have to be young because these are kids, you know, yes. dead boy detectives. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. There, there's a bunch of other... Alexander Calvert has been cast as Thomas the Cat King. Brianna Cuoco, Cuoco, I don't know how to pronounce her name, uh, has been cast as Jenny, described as a mildly punk butcher. <laughs> All right. I like her already. Uh, and Jen Lyon has been cast as Esther. Described as a witch obsessed with youth and immortality that might be based on Thessaly. Maybe. I don't know. I've not read enough Dead Boy Detectives to know if these are actual characters from the comic or not, other than the, the main three. Uh, Yuyu Kitamura has been cast as Nico, a boarding school student. And Ruth Connell, who will play Night Nurse, a demon that controls the flow of souls. Isn't that a character? In Daredevil? Well, yeah, Night Nurse is a Marvel character. She's also... There's more than one Night Nurse. Because um, one of them is in Doctor Strange and one of them is in Daredevil. Oh. Um, yeah, that is a character. No, Nightmare Nurse is what I'm thinking of. 
I don't know. Might maybe it's supposed to be the same character. I don't fucking care. Because <laughs> um, Nightmare Nurse was also on uh, that Constantine movie, City of Demons. Oh yes, isn't that isn't that the like the spontaneous sex scene in that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I don't. Remember. I think so. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, there's casting for this. It, it's really weird to me that it's not connected, but whatever. Uh, it's going to be on the same platform, and it's featuring the same characters but for some reason it's different i don't know whatever um so yeah they're they cast the dead boy detectives and their uh remaining characters i still haven't even seen that episode of doom patrol I neither have i yeah badly need to get back into doom patrol because i've only watched the first season and a little bit of the second yeah i've only seen seasons one through two so winter is coming it'll be a good show to get back into you yeah. know yeah, and that's crazy. It, it just dawned on me that already through season three, it still feels like feels like season one is still a uh, like not a guarantee. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm still in that mindset of like, oh, I really hope this show succeeds. Like, well, it's already fucking succeeded. <laughs> it's doing well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> many many shows don't get nearly as far as it's gotten, so it's doing fine. Uh, yeah, so that's. That's it, I guess, for uh, news. I don't have a... Kobe's got issues. I didn't go to the comic shop this week. And I don't have anything else funny to talk about. <laughs> no, Todd McFarlane didn't kill any nuns this week. <laughs> so I can't make fun of him. Didn't kick any kittens? Yeah, exactly. No micro-penis comments? No, none of those either. Alas. I've extended an olive branch to the micro-penis community. <laughs> made sure it was an appropriately sized olive branch. <laughs> wouldn't want them to feel bad comparatively and we've all put our differences aside come together also not literally because i'm <laughs> not sure if that's possible <laughs> an impotent piece has been made <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> all right then <laughs> i don't know why that's still a thing <laughs> but it is <laughs> making fun of people for things that they can't control. Right. <laughs> really isn't their fault. Sorry, people. Oh, I, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with Vertigo, but I watched uh, The Devils after uh, you loaned it to me. I do want to hear you talk about that. Yeah, that was fucking amazing. That was <laughs> probably the best movie I've seen this year, and it's from the 70s, like 1971. Uh, I was completely unfamiliar with that historical story also. And I've only seen bits of that movie in college. Um, and so to see it all at once and then familiarizing myself with that story, like that was really, really interesting and really intense and a great movie. I wish it was easier to see. <laughs> here, here. Amen. That is how you do a story about religion and the cultural psyche. Yes. Not Midnight Fucking Mass. <laughs> Watch The Devils. <laughs> if you can find it, it's an amazing movie. Um, Oliver Reed. I've, you know, I've seen Oliver Reed in a few things over the years. I don't even know how many times I've seen him because he's just an old prolific actor. But that is easily the best I've ever seen him. <laughs> like yeah. just that, that, uh, that humanity he brings that character uh, he's ostensibly the hero of the movie, but he's introduced 
because he's a priest. He's introduced after, I guess, giving mass or whatever. He's introduced uh, just after fucking a woman and finding out that she's pregnant and then saying, like, well, that sucks. I'll see you later. (laughs) Good luck with all that. Mm -hmm. I've got other things to do. Uh, You know, your life is pretty much over and I don't want to be a part of it anymore because now you're going to be an unwed mother and I'm... Don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a line he has in it that I don't think it's supposed to resonate with someone like me, but <laughs> fuck does it. <laughs> when uh, right as he's leaving, he goes, give me your hand. And she touches him and he, he goes, it's like touching the dead, isn't it? And then he just walks away. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like best, worst breakup line ever. Yeah. Oh, boy. But yeah, that I was blown away by that movie. And uh, it doesn't even matter on one level that this is the edited version. Because I was looking at the changes, and they are significant. <laughs> uh, there's a scene where all the crazy nuns break down the giant crucifix in the church and fuck it. That, I've seen that gif. Know, that was one of the deleted <laughs> scenes. And then at the end, when uh, Vanessa Redgrave is given his femur... Oh, yes. There's a deleted part where she then masturbates with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and we have to give props to her, too, because Vanessa Redgrave in her day was a uh, very beautiful woman, but she is so grotesque in that role. Yeah. There's a hunchback nun who was a real person. Again, all of these people were real. This really happened. (laughs) This this innocent man was burnt at the stake because a nun claimed that she saw him in her dreams or whatever. And it was all a whole political thing. He didn't like Richelieu, and Richelieu uh, wanted to seize control of this town. And uh, In fact, one of the things that the movie doesn't mention is that the uh, priest was actually put on trial first, like a real trial, oh. and the townsfolk were like, yeah, there's no, there's no basis for this. You're free to go. No problem. No devil here. <laughs> and then Richelieu heard that and was like, fuck that. Send in my own people. So that's when he sent in uh, his own like inquisitor and witch finder and all that, and then it Ended up with him being burned at the stake. How convenient. Yeah, because Richelieu didn't want him to to live. So anyway, yeah, a really good movie. Very depressing look at uh, religion. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. If you're a film buff, watch it. Amazingly well done. Insanely well made sets. And the lighting is gorgeous. The acting is great. And it's it's so, so complex on every level. Emotionally, the storytelling... The sets, the costuming, it's its great. It's really easy to get lost in like the, well, what some people would call the blasphemy of the movie yeah. and the more intense parts of it, but it's got a lot to say. Again, more so than some more uh, on-the-nose films we've talked about in shows. Exactly. So anyway, time to get into our covers, the top ten Vertigo covers. So I did, wasn't clear about this when we talked about it. Are we doing just ten, or is each of us doing ten? We're doing five and five, or are we doing ten? I thought we were doing ten. Okay, that's okay. what I did. I just, <laughs> I just wasn't sure if we were going to start paring down and killing darlings. But uh, I think we're good. It was hard enough to kill darlings as it was. I largely drew from my Vertigo Visions book in here. A very lovely the, book. The one about the, uh, it's just all the artwork of Vertigo. Oh, yeah. We talked about this in our first episode. We did. Um, I uh, just took this to the bar. And flipped through it and made notes. There was a couple that weren't in here that I had to actually, like, re-familiarize myself with. But um, do you want to start or should I start? Who's starting? Um, I've 
after you because I have one honorable mention. I've got like 10 honorable mentions. <laughs> I just flipped through past a couple of them. One of them is literally any cover from Terminal City. Oh, yes. Any cover from Terminal City. I didn't pick one because I love that. My other honorable mention was Flinch Number 1. Mm. I didn't do that mm -hmm. one just because we recently talked about it. I also, I tried to shy away from major story or major comics. There's a couple rules I set for myself. Number one is just one artist per per list. Like, I, I can't pick an artist twice. Oh, okay. And number two was uh, uh, shy away from Sandman, Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, <laughs> like the big ones that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. But I did... I did break that rule on one occasion because <laughs> I had to. <laughs> well, that's understandable. I broke that rule all over the place. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll start with my number ten. I guess number ten is Vamps number five by Brian Bolland. Oh, he's on my list as well. Yeah, Brian Bolland. I that was one that was really fucking hard for me. He's done a lot of Vertigo covers. He has. Um, and he's just a fucking great. Uh, I almost said actor. He's just a fucking great artist. <laughs> he is. It should be right there. There we go. Vamps number five. Aha. It's an extreme close-up of a bloody vampire mouth, nose, and her eye there. You can kind of see a reflection of a person. But on the original cover, like this is the cover without any of the graphics. In the original cover, it's kind of covered right there mm -hmm. because of the title. But just that super close-up of a bloody mouth, the blood dripping down. I remember seeing that as a child. And being very creeped out, but also kind of like intrigued because it's bloody and it's scary, but it's also a little little erotic. It is. You know, there's yeah. something, I mean, and that's vampirism in general. It's bloody and gross, but also a little little sexy. And so there's a there's a I don't know there's something about that image that has stuck in my mind for like thirty years. And I've never even read that fucking comic. <laughs> I have I have most of the issues of Vamps, but I've never read it. Because there's, I think there's three series. There's Vamps, and there's Vamps Pumpkin Time, and then Vamps, uh, what is it, Hollywood in Vain <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> good title. Yeah. I haven't read it my I have a good chunk of all three of the series, and I've never read it, but that was just a great goddamn cover to me. This is a very striking image. You barely see the, the uh, vampire fangs right. covered by your lips. That's a good, and it's a photograph, right? That's not a painting. No, it's a painting. Oh, it is a painting. Oh, wow, I thought it was a This is an autograph right there. Oh, there it whatever. is. Yeah. Signature. Uh, yeah, it's just the insane close-up of a bloody vampire face. Oh, and that's how good of an artist he is. Yeah. I mean, it's enviable. almost picked Animal Man number one also, because that's another Brian Bolland piece. And it's just, it's Buddy Baker running towards the camera with all the animals following him. Mm -hmm. Just a great, like, number one, here's what, here's what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> just puts it all out there. Yeah. But that's my, yeah, my number 10, Vamps. Good choice. My honorable mention was uh, um, Flinch, the first cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, another one, it's not a Vertigo book, but it's Vertigo adjacent. Um, Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts, even though that's published by Burger Books. Oh. Um, it's uh, Paul Pope did the cover. And um, it's like a picture of a Japanese ghost woofing down ramen or something like, or um, octopus. And uh, I just really like the visuals. Is that a graphic novel or was it? It's like a horror anthology slash recipe book. Well, I know, but was it a graphic novel or was it published in single issue? Oh, I think it's a single issue. 
I believe. That one? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what it is about it. It's just the way that uh, the cook looking at her just leads the, your, the line of your eyesight right across to her face. I've seen that cover before, uh, but I don't really know anything about that book. It's really good and gross. And <laughs> um, there's a story in there where a guy has to feed the mouth that's on his belly button. Um, Interesting. It's really weird, but it's wonderful. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, not published under Vertigo, but uh, I thought it was worthy of a mention. So we're going to keep up our vampire theme here, though, with my number 10, which is American Vampire, Volume 1, um, by Scott Snyder and Stephen King. And I think the cover artist is, I'm going to fuck up his name, Raphael Albuquerque. Um, Jim Lee worked on some of the art, too, but I'm pretty sure it was Albuquerque that did the cover for Volume 1. Is this the graphic novel volume one? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, I just really appreciate um, like the stark simplicity and the texture. Uh, the lines are really thick, which I like. And it's uh, contrasted with the red. Again, like eye-catching, like uh, Brian Bolland's vampire painting. And um, yeah, from a design perspective, maybe it's just because I've worked at a newspaper all my life. I just, I, I appreciate busy when it's done well, but I also appreciate something that just knows what it is and stands out in a very simple way. And I think that sets out to do what it's intended to do, which is to draw you in and make you wonder, what is an American vampire? Even though I'm not a huge fan of the series, I think the first book is really well done. I assume it's a vampire in America. Absolutely. Is, is that what an American vampire is? <laughs> American <laughs> vampire in America. That's a good start. It's good. Uh, yeah, it's very, it look, reminds me of like Sin City, black and white and red. Yeah. You know, like just the sim simple colors. It does. That's a good comparison. It's not nearly as like noir-y as Sin City <laughs> or no. as over-stylized, but uh, yeah, just the color perspective. I would say it's more weird Western. Well, oh, yeah, obviously, but I'm just saying the the, the easiest, easiest point of comparison in terms of the color. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. And the one is, it looks like a... You don't see her face really. Other, I mean, you don't see you don't see the whole picture of her just like from her nose down. It looks like a like a flapper with a bloody neck. Yeah, you assume that that's uh, the lead female Pearl. Which there's two different stories in there. Snyder wrote one, and King wrote the other. Yeah. Um, and she's the uh, villain Skinner Sweets victim in the 1920s, even though he was made a vampire like in the 1880s, I think. Um, so yeah, you get a little bit of both characters and how their stories intertwine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What about you? What's number nine? All right, number nine for me is fucking, let's see, Enigma number one by Duncan Figredo, Ooh. which uh, I was, I really just wanted to put some Enigma on here. Well, <laughs> They're the covers all are great beautiful. covers. What you've shown me has just been really, really eye-catching and beautiful in a lot of them. So the first issue is the, like the main character, Enigma, kind of in the background, and he's not really the main character. He's like the heroic foil, I guess. And then like the villain... In the foreground, called the head, I believe, uh, which is really difficult to see what it is. <laughs> it is. Is that like, is that a spinal column? I, I don't know. Look, read the comic and find out. Because <laughs> it's, it's difficult to articulate exactly what the villain looks like and what it even is. And uh, I just love that kind of, there's like just a hint of grotesqueness there because you're not quite sure what you're looking at, if it even is a person. And then in the background, there's that really clean kind of watercolor style of Enigma. 
and I like that juxtaposition of the two. That's intriguing. I'm, I'm still staring at oh, headless here. <laughs> it looks like a spine in a bathing suit almost, but yeah. <laughs> huh? Or uh, a striped miniskirt or something. Yeah, I don't quite know what you're looking at. And all the covers have that same motif. There's something in the background, and then a square image kind of blocking it. And are those designed to look like stamps, or is that just the third just one? Just that one. Okay. Intriguing. Yeah. Anyway, Enigma. And it's a really weird, cool Vertigo comic. And one of the originals that Vertigo it was one of their first miniseries because it was originally a Touchmark comic. So it was supposed to be originally supposed to be published by Disney. Huh. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. We've, we've talked about that. That was the when Disney tried to get into adult comics in the early 90s. And then they had the implosion. So they had to sell off everything that they had bought to publish there including Enigma and Sebastian O. And it was right when Vertigo was coming into being, so they just snatched them all up and published them under Vertigo. I remember we talked about Sebastian O, which is even more hilarious when you think about Disney yeah. adapting that. But I didn't know they tried to do that with Enigma, too. Yeah, there's a whole list. There's probably like five or six comics that were originally supposed to be Disney's Touchmark comics and uh, became Vertigo. Uh, they... I was going to say about that. But anyway, yeah, like, Touchmark was a spinoff out of Touchstone Pictures. Disney's, like, uh, whatever. So the Disney movies are for kids, and then Touchstone is for, like, adults. Oh. And so, same with the Disney publishing and Touchmark publishing. Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder where the series would have gone. What series? Enigma, if they... You know, it was just a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if Disney had gotten their hands on it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there was going to be any more of it, regardless. The original series was written by Peter Milligan, with art by Duncan Fogretto, who also did the covers. And uh, I feel like they've worked together since, but they're both guys that did a lot of uh, miniseries and one-shots for Vertigo, so I don't think they had any more planned from this. Oh. There's only one way it could go, then. Yeah, exactly. All right, what was your number nine? Um... This is the last vampire one in our stretch here. But there was you no... You don't know what I've got on my list. <laughs> Fuck you talking about last vampire. Well, excuse me, on, on my list anyway. <laughs> I thought maybe there was another place I could put this on the list, but nah. Um, but I wasn't going to skip Damn Fear, Stillborn, oh, yeah. by Nancy Collins, um, Paul Lee. Uh, who did the cover art? I want to say it was maybe Axel Alonzo? Does that? I uh, I don't know. I only looked up the cover artists since that's what we're talking about. <laughs> no, I, I I think I'm wrong. I think Axel Alonso was the other editor besides Lee. Yeah, I was going to say Davis. I've only ever heard of Ac Axel Alonso as an editor. Uh, right here, Paul Lee. Oh, Paul Lee. Okay, sorry, Mr. Lee. Um, yeah, I just really like it. It uh, reminds me of Vampire Angst Done Right. Um, it came out in '97, not too long after the movie Interview with a Vampire. And it's very dark, and it kind of reminds me of 1990s, like, gothic grunge cover albums. And, uh, of course, it just, again, I, most of my criteria was based on, well, because um, I had such a hard time choosing, and I was like, well, which covers do I really, really enjoy looking at? Um, and that's one of them. It just has a, you know, the, a nice thread of terror through it. Uh, I like the paneling in the back that looks like collage, and then you go up, 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 and there are these dangling arms that yeah. look ominous. Um, yeah, I really dig it. 
I knew that was going to be on your list. <laughs> I thought it was going to be higher, though, to be honest. <laughs> it was hard. Like I said, I, I, I had to kill a lot of my darlings. Okay. Moving on. Uh, number eight for me is Doom Patrol number 67 by Tom Taggart. Oh, look at which that. is the cover of the Chief's Head in a Styrofoam box with ice. A little note on it saying, Cliff, don't forget to feed the head. <laughs> Signed, Dorothy. <laughs> who, I'm sorry, who did that again? Tom Taggart. Tom Taggart, okay. I think I just got a package. Thanks, Amazon guy. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's just a great, gross, grotesque cover. The way it's Tom Taggart, uh, this is a, a, like a sculpture. Oh. Photographed. Um, I was going to ask, I was like, now is that a photograph or is that a painting? Oh, I, mean, I forgot, he's got a little chocolate milkshake sitting next to him, too. <laughs> to feed <laughs> so the head. He can, yeah, the head can have some chocolate milkshake. <laughs> Which is the way, like, the head is just staring straight out at the viewer. He's got that weird red nose. Like, the chief always kind of is drawn that way on these covers. And uh, it's just something so fucking weird and creepy, but also kind of funny. And that's, like... <laughs> Doom Patrol in an image for me. Just the craziness of that series and the the weird, funny, creepiness of it all. I don't know. <laughs> Summed up in that one image. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just the, a perfect mission statement for the comic. And really, you could say that about a lot of their covers. You know, there's the ads again on oh. the different cover. Um, Who did that one? That was Bob Fingerman. Okay. And yeah, it's it's such a cool goddamn book and a cool show. I'm glad that it is popular now. <laughs> Your hair deserves its time in the limelight. Yeah. Good one. All right, what's your next? Okay, number eight. Um, yeah, this threw my list totally out of whack because this book hasn't even come out yet. What? Um, it's the Sandman uh, annotated edition. That's supposed to come out on March 2022. No, excuse me, March 2022. Oh, that was already out. Wasn't um, there an annotated volume already? I see. The, I got a little bit confused when I saw this on the net because I kept going back and forth between, um, yeah, the, as we see here, it's a, a pen growing out of a peace lily like the stamen of a flower. Um, and some people online were like, oh, I hate this. You know, it's all black and white. And then I would keep seeing the dates that says, you know, publishing date March 2022 yeah. so I'm not entirely sure I'm just concerned. this must be a new edition because I it says so. Vertigo right there DC doesn't put Vertigo on any of their shit anymore even stuff that was published in Vertigo now just says DC Black Label uh, so that's weird right yeah well here's Annotated Sandman Volume 2 <laughs> that yeah is available right now so this just must be a new edition or on amazon they're just out of it there's annotated same man volume four <laughs> <laughs> that, that volume five uh there it is used it must just be out of print because here it is used for 86 or 83 dollars okay so maybe there's a yeah 2012 it says it okay out. all right all right all right the the mystery has been solved questions have been answered but um, Dave McKean, of course, yeah. I've got him on my list twice. Um, and I wasn't planning on having this one on my list. I just saw it, and I was like, I want to make that mine. Again, I like the almost photographic quality. I just love what he does with mixed media. 
Yeah, he's all about collage and photography and whatnot. And he, and he did all of Sandman. And I think every spinoff and deviation. Other, other than like Lucifer, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But most of spinoffs and <laughs> deviations of Sandman are uh, Dave McKeon. Have you ever seen his movie Mirror Mask? I have not yet. I think you mentioned it, but I haven't watched yeah, it. It's good. Gaiman wrote it and Dave McKeon directed it. It's it's a fun, uh, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland-ish story uh, with just his weird grotesque imagery floated throughout it. Do you have it? Yeah. Of course you do. All right. I might have to ask you to borrow it. If I can find it. It's in my <laughs> DVD cases somewhere. Uh, all right. Up next for me, number seven, I've got Vertigo Winter's Edge, number two, by Mike Allred. And so this was a wraparound cover. Mike Allred has that like animated style, um, kind of uh, clean lines and vibrant colors and... Uh, Low detail, I guess, and uh, I, I just love seeing that that kind of cartoony outlook on like serious Vertigo stories and shit. Right. And especially with Vertigo Winter's Edge, you get a little of everything. So there's John Constantine. There's the goddamn peacock and dancer from Nevada, <laughs> King Bob. And this is a wraparound cover also. So this is the front. And this is the back. Oh, that's really cool. There's Wesley Dodds and Death and King. Or not King Bob. Jesus. Uh, What's his name? Spider Jerusalem. <laughs> All these famous uh, Vertigo characters, and they're they're like stepping off of the panels of a comic, and it looks like they're kind of constructing the cover themselves. He does. Yeah, that's a good like, way to describe uh, it. What's her name? The dancer from Nevada is literally pulling a rope that is pulleying up the Vertigo Winter's Edge logo. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a behind-the-scenes stage. John Constantine is just drinking and smoking and watching. <laughs> oh, and uh, she's this girl over here. I can't tell who that is. Uh, is literally nailing up the, the dialogue balloons <laughs> on the panel. That's fun to look at. That's, a, that's an example, I think, of being busy, but you can still tell what's going on. Oh, and Wesley Dodds here is making the Winter's Edge. He's oh. shooting it out of his gas gun. Awesome. I love Mike Allred's art. He is very famous for creating Madman, uh, like an indie comic in the 90s that took on a life of its own. Uh, aside from his Vertigo stuff, my favorite thing that he did was a Marvel comic in the early 2000s called The Ecstatics that was originally... This is a comic book called X-Force that was originally in the 80s, spun out of the New Mutants, and it was like this extreme X-Men team. It was very 90s and very Rob Liefeld-esque because he did a lot of the art for it. Uh, so it was like Cable and Deadpool and all these big, ridiculous, muscly dudes with pouches and tiny feet. <laughs> and uh, in the early 2000s, after the, after the success of the X-Men movie, uh, Marvel was rebranding a lot of their X-Men stuff. And so they X-Force with like issue like 115 or something like that, just said, like, fuck it, give it to somebody else. So Peter Milligan wrote it, and Mike Allred did the art for it, and they completely changed the dynamic of the story. Like, literally, they didn't keep anything about the old book. So just one issue, people pick up X-Force, and it's a new cast of characters, new setting, mm. mutants with completely useless powers. Oh, no. um, it's this team of reality star, or reality show hosts, characters, whatever. 
and they just go off and do missions so their little cameraman can film it all and they can put it on TV. And that's X-Force. Huh. And uh, after, I think, issue 120, 130, I don't know. It, it went as X-Force for like 20 issues and then it ended and restarted as Ecstatics. And that went for a while. And my favorite thing about that book, aside from the useless characters, is that everyone fucking dies. Oh, really? The Not only, like, as the story goes, people get killed, but the last issue is, like, just kill them all. Fuck it. They all die. <laughs> we don't care. The series has since come back a couple times. Like, there's a character named Dead Girl who's dead. <laughs> and so she got her own spinoff after the fact where she was communicating with the old team in the afterlife <laughs> mm. so they could keep them coming back. But it was just like, it was a perfect merge of art, writing and sensibility because it was such a weird fucking book. And it got of all the X-Men books that came out around that time. That one is probably the most fondly remembered, even though it was kind of the also ran. Mm. I mean, maybe that and the Grant Morrison's X-Men because Morrison's X-Men was fucking great. Yeah. But uh, this series was just so weird and and audacious. <laughs> I mean, I, look, one of the main characters is named Mr. Sensitive. His power is that he just feels everything. Like a light breeze feels like razors on his skin because it's so intense. When he wakes up in the morning, his, his alarm clock just, go, uh, just like vibrates. And even that is too much for him. When, when he walks into the shower in the morning, he's like, ow. Ow, ow. <laughs> How can this guy go on missions? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he has to wear this this suit, and uh, he, he has a, a like a bodysuit that Professor X created for him that helps him uh, live not in a constant state of pain. But then he also has undergone years of like uh, meditation and uh, uh, like you know Tibetan monk practices on how to clear your mind and all that. And so, yeah, he was ostensibly the main character in it. But there was another character named Zeitgeist who had acid vomit. Oh. He's actually in Deadpool 2. Um, yeah, he, just, he gets killed in his, the, his first appearance. He's introduced as the leader of the team, and then he gets killed. Does he puke uh, on himself? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a character named uh, uh, the Anarchist who has acid sweat. <laughs> how did i not hear about this this it's sounds great. zany this character named vivisector who is uh just a werewolf he just turns into a werewolf uh but the main the main through line of x-force the main character the one that stays with the series is named dupe dupe have you ever seen dupe or heard of dupe i have not i God confess my ignorance he uh is just like a floating pickle oh my god he is that's, look at that that's dupe He's, he's their cameraman. He has a language called dupe speak that is never translated. Um, so his, his random text will just pop up in the series and everyone acts like maybe they understand it, but maybe not. Uh, they don't know <laughs> if he's an alien, if he's a mutant. They don't know anything about him. He's just there in the series filming. Oh, there's Mr. Sensitive with him. He's just there in the series filming all the time and contributing really nothing to the story. <laughs> He could be a giant pickle. Yeah. And ever since then, he's shown up in a few other books. He had a spinoff with Wolverine. Oh, my God. What was that was partnership like? First. 116 was their first appearance. X-Force 116, excuse me. Oh, there's another one, Gin Genie. Gin Genie. She has powers when she's drunk. <laughs> Lenui, this guy that like, has darkness powers. Uh, I can't remember this guy's name. There's Ram. All of these characters, except for Yugo Girl and anarchist 
are dead before issues end. <laughs> and that's their first appearance. So. Mm. I, I, I like the juxtaposition of, you know, the original X-Men, these all-powerful mutants with, well, this guy just feels stuff really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, that book is fucking amazing. They used, uh, they used to have an omnibus edition, omnibus edition that had the entire series in one big, thick hardcover, but it went out of print and it's really expensive now. But anyway, great series. I uh, got totally sidetracked on that because Mike Allred <laughs> is that great. <laughs> Very worth talking about. So number seven. What's your number seven? Number seven, Tank Girl Apocalypse. Um, this is another Brian Boland one for the cover. And uh, of course he's going to be on here. And of course Tank Girl is going to be on here somewhere because I love that comic. Um, <laughs> is this the graphic novel? Is this an issue? It's an issue. It's an issue. Is it a one-off? Um, I believe so. We're looking it up right now so Colby can see. There it is. Yeah. That says one of four. So which issue are you talking about? <laughs> oh, this Well, okay. Wait, let me go back and look at my notes. Oh, I guess I didn't really... I just knew that it was the one with the, uh, her pregnant on oh, the cover. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. issue one. Issue one. Oh, there we go. Yes. It just... It's, it's so off-kilter and weird. And there she is pregnant and she's smoking a cigar and her kangaroo boyfriend like has his big ear up against her belly to listen to the baby. And it's just keeping in the spirit of tank girl. It's um, maybe slightly inappropriate and a little bit uh, darkly witty. And again, Brian Boland is just a really good artist. And I like the way he draws her here. She does not look thrilled about being pregnant. <laughs> oh, she, is, she, she, is, she would be a terrible mother. A terrible mother. So who did the art? Oh, yeah. You said, sorry, Brian Boland. Yeah. He did the cover art, and I think, um... Oh. She has a nicotine patch on her stomach, too. <laughs> Just noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> While she's smoking and pregnant. Well, in the comic book, it's like, her, um... He figures out that she's pregnant because she wakes up, and the first thing she doesn't want to do is, like, drink her morning beer that she usually mm. has. And, uh, so yeah, she'd be a terrible mother, so that's why I like that cover so much. I'm sure that kid's gonna be just fine. <laughs> And um, if anyone's listening out there, um, Virgo Voices does not advocate uh, smoking during pregnancy. But Tang Girl can do it all she wants because she's not real. Speak for yourself. <laughs> you don't know what I advocate. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> right. Whatever you do on your free time is your business, sir. <laughs> okay, right. what's your number six? My number six is Sandman Mystery Theater. Number 42 by Gavin Wilson and Richard Bruni. This is, uh, they did a lot of the Sandman Mystery Theater covers. Uh, Mystery Theater was mostly collage and photograph. I could have done any of their covers, really, but this one was another one that's just seared into my memory. Look at that. So, uh, this is issue two. I think it's part two. Sorry. I think it's part two of the Phantom of the Fair storyline. And this was, aside from the first volume, the Tarantula, this was the first Sandman mystery theater story that I read. Because I remember reading about it in Wizard. Like, this is fucking shocking. You're going to fucking shit your pants when you read this. So I, uh, I just happened to find all four issues in the comic book store in Walla Walla. I take that back. I didn't find these. My friend Matt did. <laughs> my friend Matt got me all four of these issues for my birthday one year. And I, uh, I was in, like, ninth grade or something, and I remember reading them, and, like, yeah, it's a really good, dark noir about the serial killer 
um, targeting gay men at the World's Fair. And just the look of issue two is it's the villain dressed in a weird silverish black gimp suit staring at the camera. Like it's like he's posing for a photo. It does. And there's something that's just terrifying to me about evil being mundane. Mm. Like the like just somebody somebody like he probably just washed his hands clean of blood and then decided to pose for a picture, you know? <laughs> there's something very shocking and and just frightening about that to me. And is that a photograph? Yeah. Okay. Most most of these covers are photos and collages, uh, and I, I love every single cover of this comic series. <laughs> but that's just the one that I stood out the most for me because it's just seared into my memory. I can see why that face is haunting. <laughs> Phantom of the Fair is actually like the original Sandman villain back in the 1930s when he was first created for like the World's Fair comics. <laughs> he oh. was fighting a villain called the Phantom of the Fair. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, significantly different storyline back then. Than <laughs> I imagine in the so. 90s. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, just all of these Sandman covers are fucking great. They are. Even the ones from the follow-up series that I did not like, <laughs> Sleep of Reason. Didn't, didn't like that comic. But uh, the covers are still great. <laughs> cool to look at. Yeah. Wesley Dodds, uh, star of Smallville, Absolute Justice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it kind of reminds me of like a, a darker uh, noir pulp novel yeah. that you saw, like you would see in the 1940s or the 1950s. Looks cool. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so that was my number six. Fine choice, sir. Okay, number six for me, uh, DMZ, number three, the third installment of the On the Ground story arc, uh, cover by Brian Wood. I just really appreciate uh, the fact that they're using the main character, uh, what's his name? Matty Roth. Uh, they're using his press pass um, as the backdrop for this conflict. There you go. And it just kind of gives it the sense, I think, of like heightened authenticity. Like it looks like something that might have actually happened. And then you have um, smoldering New York City underneath that and what looks like uh, charcoal like maybe they used charcoal to draw that and then smeared it up the top mm -hmm. of the cover like it's smoke um i really like that one out of all the dmz covers i really appreciate that one the most i think i've not read any dmz that's but, really good it's yeah, a cool cover it's really really well done um did you read uh channel zero no wait you... channel zero that was a book um it was it wasn't uh yeah it was comics um but it wasn't vertigo um can we uh, talk about this? Because this is a show, too, called Channel Zero. Is there? Yeah. This is, I, see? You, I, Google Channel Zero and all you get shit from the show. I don't remember us talking about this. Maybe, Maybe we somebody did. else. It doesn't look like Brian Wood's well, comic. Well, it's not the comic. This is the show. But yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, for some reason, I, I've discussed this recently with somebody. I can't remember who. I think it was for Image. Image Comics. Um, okay. What year did this come out? 90s? 90s? 97, yeah. Okay. It was collected in 2000. Yeah, DMZ, anyway, is, a, uh, I think, a really good extension of Channel Zero, and Channel Zero is really awesome. Brian Wood did that one, too. Um, and, yeah, it's a really good book. I really like the art style, and uh, read it, man. Just, just read it so we can talk about it. Just read it. <laughs> uh, You're number five. Yeah, so I'm up to number five. My number five was my one Dave McKeon on the list, which is The Sandman Presents 
The Corinthian, number one. Look at that. Uh, this was the miniseries called Death in Venice. All about the Corinthian. Uh, I love this cover because it looks like a poster for a Fritz Lang movie or something. It does. It looks very like 1920s or 30s. There's a poster that I have in my in my uh, hallway of uh, Fantoma, mm -hmm. the, the dude stepping out over Paris. It just reminds you of something like that, like something you'd see on a uh, like a Parisian billboard in the 1920s or something. That's <laughs> no, a good way to describe it. I mean, yeah, it's like a you know, there's a very stylized dude with a mask over his face, or uh, pulling off, I guess, a theatrical mask or whatever. And I just love all the text on it. I like that the text was maintained in the in this book. Uh, the fact that they kept the text on there instead of like everything else where they take the text off. Oh yeah, because I love how like featuring everyone's favorite nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, Lon Chaney should have a part in that. Yeah, exactly. I really like that style. And there's a lot of Dave McKeon I could have put on here, but I went with this because I felt like not as many people have seen this one. That's an excellent pick. I don't think many people probably have, or at least it doesn't stand out in their minds. The guy really can do everything when yeah. it comes to art. Yeah, exactly. He's a really fucking good artist and uh, worthy of more spots on my list. But no! <laughs> I will not conform. It's okay. I did that for both of us. Um, because, <laughs> guess who's my number five? <laughs> of course, Dave McKean, again, the Sandman Preludes and Nocturnes Collected Edition. Mm -hmm. Which one? Um, just the There's been more than one. <laughs> I can't remember what year it came out. And they've all had uh, different covers. Um, it's, well, it's the cover that, um... See, look, there's three just right there. <laughs> oh, crap. I, oh, I, I think... And my eyes are that one. my eyes are terrible. Oh, that one right there. there we, it's the one where he's got the uh, um, like the jeweled uh, oh, okay. stone eggs um, in the. I think it's like a little jewelry storage box or some type of um, you know, like bead beading box. And then he took uh, the I think Dream's face and he cut it out and he put it in the squares. And I just love the you know the the texture and the tactile feeling to that cover. That was the 1991 trade paperback edition. Thank you. Okay, nope, I love it. Love the, his mixture of mix, his mixture of mixed media. Say that ten times fast. His mixed media on that one is just really on point. I feel like if you were to reach out and touch it, then you could feel the crevices of the stones. It's beautiful. Okay. Um, my number four. Yeah, I'm up to number four. Yep. Is uh, Transmetropolitan number twenty-two. Which, again, like I could have used just about any cover of Transmet, but I decided to go with this one, number 22. This is by Jeff Darrow, <laughs> and it's Spider sitting on uh, a sign, like a giant neon sign, with the entire city behind him. I debated picking that one out for my list, too. And I just love, it looks like something that Mobius would have created. It's very deep, like you can go back as far as your eye can see. There's so much in the image like there's a dude just falling in the background <laughs> there's a guy sitting on his couch like peeking through a window in his dirty ass apartment full of cats and rats and shit <laughs> and then spider is typing on his laptop and uh like raising a uh a drink to the the reader <laughs> like, <you're, laughs> like, like, hey he's, like he acknowledges that he's being watched by you 
<laughs> and I just love, like, Transmet is Spider's story, but it's also about the world that he lives in. And I like that this is focused on him, but the world surrounds him. All the mayhem and the chaos and yeah, the city. And there's so much that can draw your eye here. I mean, obviously, and oh, and that's another thing, is that if you notice, in the background, there's no black. No, there all the there. all the black is faded to gray. So the only black that you really see is Spider's suit. That's right. So regardless of how busy it is, you still focus on him. And then, like, your eye starts there and then kind of spins outward. Which is really fucking hard to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, is a really, like, just a testament to Jeff Darrow's art. <laughs> it's like a very adult Where's Waldo in the background. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that's another example of a chaotic cover actually having purpose and flow to it. The only thing they say about it in this book, the Vertigo uh, Visions, the only thing they say about it is, Jeff Darrow's finely detailed European style captures the certain... <laughs> like, that's a weird way. It's a European. <laughs> <laughs> is it, though? Do you think it is? Well, yeah, because the, what they're trying to say is that it looks like Mobius. Oh. oh Mobius yeah. is French, so... European. <laughs> M- Mobius-inspired decades of comic book artists, so that's that's kind of where he's where they're coming from with this, I would think. But anyway, I love that. I love the like for all the reasons I just said, it's good. It is good. Read Transmetropolitan. <laughs> Absolutely, don't miss out. Okay, uh, that was number four, right? Yes. All right. Um, this uh, I had a really hard time with this one. I almost picked. Uh, I think Birth Pains Part 1, number 33 of Shade of the Changing Man. Um, but then I ended up going with, uh, I think it's called Simply a Subterranean. And the cover art on that one is done by Duncan. Uh, is this an issue of Shade? I believe so. What number? Um, You're telling me the story title, but that doesn't help when I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, so sorry. Um, okay. Well, shoot, I wrote down I wrote down the number for Birth Pains, which is number 33, but I didn't write down the number for um, Simply Subterranean. Um, but if you just put in uh, Shade, Changing Man, Duncan, Fagredo, that it comes up. But 55, yes, okay, haha, bingo. This, this one? Um, which one's 55? Right there, right there. Oh, yeah, yes. Um, again, another example of being able to have, like, the cover has a lot going on. Um, it's just a picture of, uh, I think, uh, Shade doing his thing. Um, lots of magic, lots of images that are related to him. And it's a very, just a very vibrant cover. And there's a lot going on. And with my shitty eyesight, if I were to see that across the room, I'd be like, well, that looks interesting. I want a clear vision of that. And I'd walk right up to it. So I really like it. I think it's well done. Um, Birth Pains by Chris Buckalo is also really cool, so I guess it's kind of a tie for me there. I had a really hard time choosing. Um, Birth Pains, um, it just looks so tight and tense and uh, manic, um, which I think goes along really well with uh, with Shade's deteriorating, deteriorating mental state. There's all the knives. Yeah. Yeah. That's in my book, too. And it's a good one. It's a good one. It's really well done. <clears throat> so those two were kind of a toss-up for me. Yeah. Well, my next two were a tie also. Ooh. Uh, da, da, da. I was originally going to go with Preacher number three. 
Ooh. Issue three is Cassidy, a bloody mouth. Well, that's an excellent Adjusting one. his glasses. I remember, that's another one. I remember seeing this as a kid and being like, I don't ever want to know what that is. <laughs> that scares me to my core. <laughs> that is disturbing. <laughs> um, but I, like, you know, as an adult, then you look at that and be like, that's fucking awesome. Uh, it looks like, you know, if Clint Eastwood were a vampire, he just <laughs> yes. radiates cool and grizzled manliness, but then also creepiness. And, like, you know, is he going to take you out for a beer or is he going to tear your throat out? <laughs> <laughs> it is menacing and yeah. compelling. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a lot to read into just that image. Oh, boy. And you can see a reflection in his glasses. And, yeah, it's just a cool... Cool cover. Uh, this is by Glenn Fabry, by the way, and he is a fucking god when it comes to comic book art. Yes, he is. And in <laughs> grotesqueness. <laughs> no one can draw hands and fingers like him. There's there's a level of just, like, something, something about the way he makes skin. <laughs> like, it looks <laughs> like leather, and just the way he can make folds and bumps and lesions and all that. I don't know. He's a great... Like, look, I'm right now looking at Preacher number 18. Look at the fucking hand on that picture. The detail is insane. <laughs> yeah. They they look like uh, working people's hands. Like, these yeah. guys have been outside in the sun. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was a toss-up between number three and number... 48. Which is an image that I just fucking love. Oh, yes. It's the one with Odin Quinn Cannon holding up a sausage, pointing it at the reader, <laughs> thrusting it into your face. Absolutely. There's something, oh. I mean, you know, we talk, talk about grotesque. He's also slightly crisped. <laughs> he had just been set on fire. so He's, he's still uh, smoking. Yeah, he's just smoldering. <laughs> oh, that is just unsettling. Yeah, just the, the grotesquerie that is uh, Preacher is put on brilliant display in that one image. And you could really say that about any uh, cover of this book. <laughs> True. And I mean, the first issue was iconic. Just that flaming church with Jesse in the background. I remember seeing that cover when I was a kid and being like, I, like what is that? Like, is, <laughs> is he the good guy? Is he the bad guy? What am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> what is this about? Yeah. And it's just like every cover of this book draws you in, which is the way Glenn Fabry is. All of his Hellblazer covers are like that. All of his other covers are like that. He's just a fucking great artist, and uh, I needed him somewhere on this list. So, I don't know. Gun to my head, I'd probably go with number three. Mm -hmm. Well, very, very fine choice. Um. <laughs> and, speaking of, to continue our Glenn Fabry conversation, um, let's see. Yeah, I picked book one, which I know seems vanilla, but you know what? Um, gone to Texas? Yep. That, Which, I think that one's had a couple covers also. <laughs> the very, very first one. It's the one of... With, um, of them walking? No, it's the one of Jesse over the church. Oh, the, issue one. Issue one, thank you. Yes. But, like, same thing where you were talking about how when you were a kid and you saw that cover. Uh, I came to Preacher later in life and a former co-worker um, asked me if I had read it. And I was like, no idea what it is. Not familiar with it. And he brought out that first volume. And I was, I just saw that image of Jesse over the burning church. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, you know, small town girl grew up in a, uh, area that's very Jesus centric. And that just somehow seemed, um, unholy to me. Yeah. So of course I wanted to read it. And, uh, 
that kind of falls in line with, you know, you're talking about what a detailed artist Fabry is and how amazing he is, which is why I get irritated when people refer to comics as lowbrow art. I want to be like, well, you haven't seen anything that Glenn Fabry's done or you wouldn't say that. Yeah. Or many, many other artists. Well, yeah, yeah. Any, there's so many, like so many great artists in comics that, um, you know, are just as good as anybody that, uh, makes fine art. Yeah. My next one, my, up to number two is an artist that I love that doesn't get as much recognition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is one of my favorite covers. This is A Shade the Changing Man, Ooh. issue number 51 by Sean Phillips. Here we go. Sean Phillips did a lot of work on Hellblazer, but this is uh, one of my favorite Shade covers of uh, Shade just looking. I've said this many times before, but a very Byronic look on his face. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that issue is called Mad Mod Poet God. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent title. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a fucking beetle right there. He does. He does. <laughs> he's got that swinging 60s vibe, but he's not quite happy about it. He's got the the uh, partially closed eyes and the blank expression as he stares at the camera. Like, that's the face of a Renaissance painting and the body of, uh, like, of Austin Powers. Right. right. Yeah. He looks like he's going to go to a party with Andy Warhol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he totally looks like Andy Warhol. He looks like he's... Dancing next to Andy Warhol. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, too cool for this shit. Anyway. I think, yeah, that's the first, that's the first trading card that you gave me. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I love that image. Yeah, yeah. It's a great one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of amazing shade covers, but that one, that one's one that stuck with me. I remember reading this book in college and seeing that that image right there, I mean, like, Jesus, that's cool. It is. <laughs> and it still is. <laughs> so I used to check this out of the Creative Arts Library at Bozeman, Montana, just so I could look at the pictures. Oh, who could blame you? Yeah. All right, on to your number two. Number two. Um, this is where, well, again, like, the whole, the whole thing was difficult for me because it's easier for me to list the stuff I don't like than it is the stuff that I do, not because there's... Um, more stuff that I like. There's actually a larger quantity of, of comic books out there and artists that I love. So um, I hope you appreciate how I buckled down with the homework this time around and actually put them in some semblance of order. Yeah, you, you did. <laughs> I definitely numbered them one to ten. I did this time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, number two is... What is number two? Edit that part out. Number two is Lucifer number seven by Mike Carey, Peter Gross, cover art by Christopher Moeller. I'm pretty sure it's the, yeah, it's the very, very last of that run. It's the very last book, um, book of that run. Lucifer number seven? 75. 75. Oh, you said seven. Did I? Yeah. Shame on me. I will go back to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> this cover? Yes. Yeah. Um, it was a toss-up between that and, of course, uh, number 16, um, which did... Did Christopher Moeller do that one as well? Don't know. Um, anyway, it's the iconic image of him with you know his martini glass yeah, and his yeah. tux, um, looking very self-assured and laconic. Um, and I really, but I really like number seventy-five because it's the final summation of you know, Lucifer's story, and he's walking off into creation, into the unknown. He's like, I'm out, totally out. Um, and I feel like. Um, I feel like it's probably the only, one of the only times we see him 
not completely with that confidence and that air. sure? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He looks a little sad. He looks a little uncertain. And I like the juxtaposition of, you know, at the top, you've got the title in pure white, and then it just fades into these varying shades of gray and blue until you get to this pile of bloody bodies underneath his feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great cover. Nice. Great story. Have you read the new follow-up series? I have not. The one, that Sandman Universe, Lucifer? I have not yet. You see what happens to him after that. Mm, is it worth it? Should I? I probably. <laughs> I've, I read the first few issues of it. Um, I think I have it all, though. But yeah, it's good. Okay. So my number one... Drum roll. Which, again, I, I mentioned was... I didn't want to do any of the major series, but I couldn't get away from this. My number one is Hellblazer, number 134. Aha. By Tim Bradstreet. And I can't remember if this was his first cover or not. But that image is John Constantine to me. Like that's everything, everything that could be said about John Constantine can be summed up in this one picture. That is a fantastic cover. It's very orange, very yellow. Like it's, uh, uh, it's lit very warmly um, with just a single shaft of light. And then you can see just the encroaching darkness around him as if he's standing in a dark alley underneath a spotlight. And this picture, you can't see it too well in this because this is like this picture that I just brought up of it. Um, his eyes are kind of half looking down at a gnarled dead body, we assume, because you just see an arm. But he's also kind of looking at the reader. And I remember in this book, it says that he seems to be aware of the body, but doesn't seem to care too much. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it, yeah. And he's got the cigarette burning and there's graffiti around him. It's just this dirty human look at this character and he's wearing you know he's got his trademark trench coat uh i mentioned earlier glenn fabry with hands that is tim bradstreet with cloth <laughs> his muse seems to be a big jacket <laughs> because he draws fabric and folds and cloth and uh just that that trench coat look amazingly Every every cover of his Hellblazer just really leans into the uh, uh, the the fabric of the the clothing, I guess. Well, and clothing is hard to draw like hands. It's hard to get the folds right. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> it's, I wasn't going to say anything, but at first I was like, "Man, there's no Hellblazer on his list." <laughs> I told you I wasn't gonna, but then I snuck it in in the end. But anyway, I, I think that may have been his first cover for Hellblazer. Um, but his take, I've said this before, his take on John is what I think of when I think of the character. It looks, um, it looks very sardonic and tired and coffee stained. And I actually yeah. mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And it's just a great fucking cover and a great take on the character. And I remember when he left Hellblazer as the cover artist, I was very sad. I was in college at the time. His last issue was... Uh, has images of all of his past issues in it. Um, and yeah, I, I love his art in general. He's done like Punisher. He did a lot of the covers from the 90s and 2000s Punisher when uh, Garth Ennis was writing it. Mm -hmm. And he did uh, a lot of the art for the Punisher movie with Tom Jane. Oh. He redesigned the skull for that. He did all of the promotional stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, 
And yeah, he's just a great, like, that photorealistic artist. Because he does photography, and then he uh, light boxes it. Oh, that's an interesting method. So he traces his own photography, which is how he gets that, just that photoreal. That's the cover of, uh, oh, that Iceman story. I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, just the darkness and the, the folds of the fabric. That coat, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Under... Under Tim Bradstreet, John's coat is its own character. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. And man, when I was in college, I used to try to draw like that all the time. <laughs> like I, every time I would see the new issue of Hellblazer, I would try to to mimic that style. It's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Back when I cared about making art. <laughs> <laughs> all the days. <laughs> but anyway, that's my number one. Uh, one of my favorite cover artists, and one of my favorite comics, one of my favorite characters. I think that's the purest form of of uh, Bradstreet's Constantine. That you're going to get. Yeah. There's another one I really like. Oh, man, I should have done that one. Um, <laughs> there's one where he did... There we go. What issue cover is that? Uh, 189. So on issue 189, this is one of him praying while he's looking up. I love that cover, too, because of the way it's shadowed, like half his face is shadowed. He's looking up. He's got a cigarette dangling out of his mouth and the, the praying hands. But he's got a look on his face like, like this is all bullshit. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm just doing this as a last resort or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it is not fervent or... Yeah. or there's no there's no belief in his face. <laughs> he's like, maybe, maybe, someone might be listening. Anyway, so yeah, that, I'm still going to go with the other one, though. No, I can see why. So yes, I'm, I'm doing my list. What's your number one? Okay, well, Transmetropolitan had to be on here somewhere, and I... Don't ask me the number, because I didn't write it down. I just remembered the title. Uh, Transmetropolitan, I hate it here. The com or the, the, the graphic novel? It's a one-shot. Oh, that's right, that's right. So there is no number, it's just I hate it here. Yeah, which... <laughs> that one? Yes, yes. Which is, uh, for those of you listening, it's a drawing of Spider-Jerusalem reading a copy of the world and peeking over the top of the newspaper and his cigarette smoke is rising up next to his face. And the only thing that's really in color is the uh, banner of the newspaper and the headline, I hate it here, <laughs> along with a color photo of him underneath. And um, I just, I, I love it. Like I would put that as a poster on my wall. I think it sums up his character brilliantly. And um, yeah, that draws my eye. Who Oops. did the art for that? Um, Der Derek, Derek Robertson, yes. Did Derek Robertson do the cover art, though? I believe so. Oh, yeah. Wait, is that Lindsay Derek? Oh, not Link. I just wanted the image, god damn it. <laughs> I'm 99.9% .9 sure that it's Robertson. Yeah, there we go, Derek. Aha. Yeah, I mean, again, like, the details. Look at the details. Yeah. It almost looks like it's not all the way done, but that's the point. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got an unfinished vibe to it, especially the black in the background. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy black. But I just love how... Um, <laughs> perpetually irritated and tired he looks like spider jerusalem lives the hard knock life and doesn't apologize for it i don't know he just i just love the depiction of that character there's one thing i don't like about this cover though what's that he's not wearing his glasses but he is right there in his picture in the, the picture but that's a picture of a different that's a, the interior shot of issue number one <laughs> so that's not an original picture. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I, I love 
one of the things I love about the covers of Transmet is the focus on Spider with those goddamn glasses. Because every time you see those glasses, even if you're not new to the series, when you see that, you're like, what the hell's up with that? <laughs> like, it makes you want, like, what the fuck is with those glasses and the bald dude with the spider on his head? And <laughs> something about that. I mean, I, my pair is sitting right there. Nice. <laughs> so it feels like a waste to have him on the cover and not with the glasses. We must agree to disagree, sir. Um, he's just got a fantastic stare anyway. The guy has very piercing eyes. Yeah, the glasses are iconic, um, but I feel like in terms of what this uh, um, what this is trying to convey, yeah, it's like, it speaks for itself. I yeah. fucking hate it here. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that's my number one. Well, all right. We went through 20 Vertigo covers um, that are all great. And this probably could have been a list of 500 or 1,000 or whatever. But it's not because we don't have all day. We did our very best to whittle it down. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Um, I, I, uh, I guess next episode will be episode 52. We'll do a special new 52. <laughs> the specialest special you're ever going to fucking see in your goddamn <laughs> life. Let me tell you about it. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 52, new 52. All the 52s. <laughs> Vertical uh, Voice is one year. Woo! All righty then. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so I guess that's it. We're good. See you next time. All right. Bye-bye, all.